This is the Cover 2 Podcast with Don Banks and Nick Stevens. Brady on the deep drop, stands in, fires down the middle for Gronkowski, makes the grab at the 45, spinning away from defenders. He's gone to the 20, to the 10, to the 5, to the end zone. The Cover 2 Podcast on Patriots.com. The play fake and the throw to the end zone for Antonio Brown, touchdown Pittsburgh. Nobody covers the NFL like the guys from Cover 2. Eight different receivers have caught a pass from Matt Ryan today. He's looking to throw again. Wide open, Julio Jones has it, and in the end zone, touchdown Falcons. Now, Don Banks and Nick Stevens. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Cover 2 podcast with Banks and Stevens. I'm Don Banks, joined by co-host Nick Stevens. Nick, I am fresh off a trip to the baseball all-star game with my son, but it is it is now really training camp time because the Baltimore Ravens are on the field today as a complete squad, and I believe the Bears join them tomorrow. So we have officially entered the training camp era. And I'm fresh off turning down my trade to the Toronto Raptors. Somebody had to. <laughs> it's, it's actually very popular these days. Non-football sports move of the week. Weirdest thing you've heard, right? Kawhi Leonard yeah. being traded from the Spurs to on a definite one-year rental. I don't know how they think they're going to be able to Paul George this per se, send him there, know he wants to go to the Lakers, and then convince him to stay long-term. Talking about maybe sitting out. I'd love to just think that I'm so so good and I'm so set in my ways. I could just turn down $21 million. I would love the opportunity. But I do like Drake and Poutine, so. <laughs> there you go. Um, so the All-Star Game, did you yeah. have a great time? You had the quintessential father-son experience, yeah. Don. You took in the Midsummer Classic in our nation's capital with your boy. Yeah, we d- and we did it two years ago, uh, even with my uh, other older son in San Diego. So this was the second time we did it. Um, yeah, all things considered, had a great time. We went to the Futures game, which I had never been to, and there were eight home runs hit there, believe it or not. Big Poppy was the world manager and made his presence known, as only he can do. Of course. It was, it was actually better baseball than I anticipated in that, and then we, we skipped the home run derby, but then, what do you know, we got it anyway, All-Star Night, Tuesday night. Oh, you saw the home run derby. We saw the, we saw the real one, actually. Ten home runs. Now, I'm old enough, Nick, and I'm not going to tell you exactly how, but to me, the 71 All-Star game is like the coolest memory. A college I, memory? That I have. Shut up. <laughs> that I have uh, of my childhood baseball um, fandom because six home runs hit that night, mm-hmm. all six by eventual Hall of Famers. Let me see if I can name them. Bench, who was my favorite player, Clemente, uh, huge Clemente fan. Harmon Killebrew, Frank Robinson, Reggie Jackson, um, mm-hmm. one other. I'm forgetting. Anyway, yep. it was the it was the epitome I thought of of what the All Star Game should be like when I was a kid. This year, t- ten home runs. So we didn't just break the record; we obliterated it. Right. Um, four of those home runs, by the way, after the top of the ninth, which is absolutely crazy. Right, and with the Astros. I right. tell you, when when it's on the line, Springer and especially Bregman could be the yeah. most sneaky clutch hitter I hate in all it. of baseball. But you just said two things right there to me that point out how baseball is America's past its time. First, t- the all-star games of my youth and even pre-my youth, pre-interleague, which I think is the start of what has hurt baseball, that seemed clutch. That seemed vintage. There was some sex appeal to it. They really went after it back then. And I know they played like they meant it this week. 
But nobody really watched and nobody really cared. And then you talked Isn't about the nobody a bit of an overstatement. Uh, aren't ratings we? are pretty bad. Pretty bad. Okay, nobody ratings are pretty bad. So uh, I should I should preface the show by saying we got a, a great guest today. I sure. should have mentioned this okay. at the top. We're going to have Amy Trask, okay. the former Raiders CEO, the first woman CEO in NFL history. She's now with CBS. Uh, she's got many, many gigs. Uh, but uh, first and foremost, she's on that other pregame show for CBS. Amy's going to give us some time later. Mm-hmm. She's really a great follow on Twitter, and mm-hmm. she's really good just as a smart, um, plugged-in uh, football analyst. So we're going we're gonna to talk plenty of NFL but getting back to She's baseball. a true football mind. She really is. And uh, does great work on We Need to Talk on CBS Sports yep. Network as well. And, you and know. And is a must follow on Twitter. There's no other woman who's had the career she's had. She's been, you know, at least in the league since the mid-80s with the Raiders. Almost spent three decades with them. Uh, and now has a really thriving media career as well as a book that came out, I want to say, about a year and a half ago. Um, we'll talk to her in a little bit. But back to the baseball topic. Look. Let's have a little point-counterpoint here because my son, who's 20 and is uh, headed into his sophomore year at George Washington University, we kind of had this same discussion. We were listening, actually, to Bill Simmons, a recent Bill Simmons podcast, and he was kind of giving the theory that baseball's in trouble. And, you know, to be fair, Micah, my son, said, you know, Dad, I understand where he's coming from. I have a lot of friends, and I can count on one hand the – the true, the true baseball fans, mm-hmm. and there's just not many of them. It's soccer, it's NBA, yep. it's NFL, and baseball. You you know, my my friends who are baseball fans have been my friends for a long time. I don't acquire new friends who happen to be baseball fans. So he's, you know, he's a pretty good representation of the demographic that I think baseball is in danger of losing the millennials. Because of the longer games. Right. Because because of the slower pace. They're not playing golf. They're not going to chain restaurants. They're not watching baseball. Everything's digital. Everything needs to be handheld and mobile now. Baseball, well, BAM, uh, Baseball's Advanced Media, has reset the standard for how things are handled online for not only baseball, but pretty much every league. They're the the tops when it comes to right. digital sports entertainment. And they were like the first. And they were the forerunners to it as well. I got a sneak peek when I worked for them seven years ago. They're an incredible organization. But I, no matter how easy it is to be able to stream a game, catch highlights, listen to it with all the different apps and services that are available to you, I just feel like unless you've got somebody like yourself, maybe a dad my age, not much younger, unless you've got somebody to make you a fan. Help unless nurture you've got somebody, your, your fandom. Yes, to, to teach you about the game. Back in my day, it talk about rivalries that the kids are just going to see the NBA, which is just prolific right now and is surging. And I think could be a couple of years away from nipping at the heels legitimately of the NFL. The NFL is obviously number one and it's a monster. Soccer is on the rise. But NFL has problems of its own NFL's of a different pl- sort. Yeah, but the NFL's problems are all self-created in terms of just digital accessibility and millennial well, it approach. it also has the concussion problem. That right. Is, well, that's the game yeah, itself. Right. The game itself is, has all the issues. Uh, but you said something earlier about home runs. To me, the most frustrating part of the week with the All-Star Game experience was this. The Home Run Derby Monday night, which I wrote off, and I think the Home Run Derby is... Did not go to and don't have a, a great deal of interest. Watched it. Right. Okay. It's there. It's not like must-watch. It's like cotton candy to me. Sure. 
Yeah, it's it's not it's, real baseball. No, it's, just, it's checks mix. Right, it's just like it's, it's something disposable. It's a Snack bag of on. it's a bag of corn nuts on a road trip. Right. Okay, so it ends up becoming fun, and it's won in the last minute by the hometown hero Bryce Harper, whose dad is pitching to him. What do I wake up to Tuesday morning? A headline. <laughs> Cubs to- fans irate. Did Bryce Harper yeah. cheat in the home? Who Cares. gives a blank? It, yeah, it was that, was it fun? Take a breath and and step back three and paces. And that's it. The fact that the guy who still goes to the Bartman esque figure still goes with his headphones on and he's got the you know the scorecard tucked in the back and the sanctity of the game. It's a game. It's no, entertainment. There's no sanctity of the home run derby. Oh, Sorry. Please. Yeah, I know. I, that's way over the top. I, think I that's agree. Permeated the culture. Don't I it? agree. And and what's crazy is I heard ticket prices in some cases for the Derby that were you know far out exceeding what I was looking for for the game. And I wasn't looking for tickets for the Derby, but um, ridiculous. We like I said, we caught the futures game, and we caught the game. And, and I'll say this: I I always instinctively my default setting is when someone says a sport is in trouble, I say, hold on, we're probably as we are wont to do these days, over overextending the level of concern. We're over, we're exaggerating. We're probably hyping it too much. I understand the millennial factor. I don't necessarily think we're anywhere close. I mean, I just, you know, obviously it's an all-star game, but I just hung around hordes and hordes of people at the fan fest, at the, at the game, at the Futures game. I do think there's more health there than people give it credit for. So... I'm not part of the crowd that is hand-wringing saying this game is in trouble. Can we make? Can they make it better? Yeah. I'll tell you one common-sense thing. TV okay. ratings suck. Well, they started the game at 823. Started at 720. There's absolutely no reason that they can't do that, that you can stay up and watch that whole Trying game. Trying to get the West Coast audience. And that's, the, that's another problem. Please everyone syndrome. Yeah. Just try, trying to, like, the Super Bowl's on at 620. I do believe they need to put in pace of game um, measures and continue that. I think you have to be cognizant that the younger generation doesn't have the attention span. That is what, sorry, but that's what the Internet has done. Right. And everyone warned us it was going to happen, and it, it has happened. Our it's evolution, is, Don. Z- is zero. All right. I actually want to talk. Um, Kevin Collins may look a little older than his age, but he's really quite young. And I want to mm-hmm. find out, our producer, Kevin Collins. Yep. So... Kevin, I hate to ask you. How old I, are you? I look like I'm 60, but I'm only 32. So there you go. Oh, you are right in the only wheelhouse 32. of this. Do you have friends that are baseball fans, or do you have most friends are you know just real, real casual Sox fans? I mean, do you do you think the demographic is all headed in the wrong way for baseball? Correct. I mean, I think the older people in my life, meaning my dad, my grandpa, my my uncles, my <laughs> godfather, this like, isn't starting well. Yeah, now all all those people you know, or who I watch the game with when I'm sitting around at home. My roommate, for example, is the same age as me, and we used to, in high school and college, go religiously to probably like 20 games a year, which I feel like is a good amount, and he has absolutely no interest in sitting with me and watching nine innings of baseball anymore. And I don't know. I don't I don't get why that changed because when we were younger, mm-hmm. it you know, it didn't seem to be a problem, but now, you know, 15 years later that we're, you know, post-30 – now it seems to be like a chore for him, and I don't get it. I, you know, I do believe that the game has, um, I guess, some challenges in terms of of 
broadening its audience. I just think the base of its audience is big enough that in my lifetime, oh, yeah. in my lifetime, in your lifetime, we're yep. not going to lose baseball. We're not going to see baseball played in some form that I don't recognize. Because um, the game, yeah, the game is already vastly different from the game that I actually did start watching in 1969 for the first time. Sure, it is vastly different. There, I, but when you think of it, that's 49 years ago, they, and go 49 years from 1969 and you're talking about the 20s but but kevin don said something earlier i think it was right before we even started recording that this week's all-star game was the most emblematic game of how baseball is played now 10 home runs Mm -hmm. 25 strikeouts nothing in no no great action in between where's francisco cabrera rounding third on pokey legs with the throw from bonds to home where's someone sneaking under the tag where's a good a good catch or good throw right yeah that part of it i get i don't necessarily think that this is the strongest example of the game as it's currently played but that's another that's another yeah, it's factor. Tu- it's turning into beer league softball. Kind that's of. it. Kind of yeah. is. It really is. So they either need to enhance it that way, or they need to make it a little, m- a little more it's punch about and the, Judy but, Pepper game. But but the players are adapting to what makes the most money, and but, that's that's where the big money comes. But let's in. L- let me give you a counterpoint because I happen to believe I side with Don on this on this argument. Okay. Um, I read an article the other day uh, on Awful announcing heading into the All Star break. The Red Sox ratings this year, as opposed to last year, through you know the midway point of the season, which is a pretty good chunk. It's like four months of television, right? They're mm-hmm. up nineteen percent, and across a lot of good demographic and lines. I happen to think that has to do with the way that the Red Sox play baseball this year. They're exciting, you know. They're young, they're athletic, they're stealing bases. This is and not they're winning, yeah. But this is and not more likable. But this they is are. not your, you know. Take ten walks. Your Kevin Euclid, David Ortiz. Right. This work is a, the pitcher. This is a young athletic group. They're aggressive. They swing early in the count. They get on base. They steal bases. They go first to third. It's just a different brand of baseball than I've been used to watching. And I think that has to do with the nineteen percent jump in the ratings. That's uh, just my opinion. But this is also New England. We consume. I would say, uh, if you look at you know the twenty four hours of the average resident's life. I think per capita, per 24 hours, we may consume as much, if not more, professional sports oh, I agree than any other region. So We may be the aberration, obviously. We yeah. may definitely be the outlier in but this But an case. almost 20% jump in one right. year based off of new manager, mm-hmm. only like basically J.D. Martinez is the, the new piece in the middle of that lineup, and I shouldn't say it's only. A hell of a piece. I shouldn't say only because he's been way beyond my wildest dreams of, of what I thought he was going to be. But the team and the young core of the team with Xander, Mookie, Ben right. Tenney, they're Benny. fun. They're they're fun to watch, right? You know, and even JBJ in the outfield. I don't like watching him hit, but he's fun to watch play in the outfield, right? No, I agree, and I think you know I, I heard something the other night, and it was on Nesson, so it was somewhat self promoting. But they said that demographically, they're pulling in good numbers from a younger audience, and I think that speaks to what what you mentioned. You know, again, I, this, uh, this is a great debate. Um, it's hard for me to buy that it, baseball's in trouble. I don't think there's some encouraging trend lines, and, and you have to acknowledge that. But I don't think, you know, I, I, I don't think we're going to see soccer pass baseball in five years and look back and say, well, what just happened? No, soccer won't, but the gap between the NBA and at number two in terms of professional sports in this country and baseball at three is going to continue to widen. Look, I'm not the right guy to ask because you say you don't necessarily believe there's a problem with baseball. 
uh, you continue to watch, but to a lot of other people there is, I continue to wear cargo shorts. <laughs> and lots of people tell me there's a problem with cargo shorts, but right. whatever. I'm not right. listening because I'm you're, comfortable. You're a dad, right? Yeah. So you're allowed to wear cargo shorts. Thank you. I no, have yeah. not procreated I, yet. I didn't so know there allowed. was a choice, actually, if you were a dad. I thought you actually had to have that as part of your, sh- your yeah. wardrobe. At this point? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and do they ride? I almost d- d- does the belt line of those cargo shorts. Does it ride up near the belly button? Does it oh, go north no. of the belly button? No. Ever since I went on that diet, no way, man. I almost wore them this morning. Oh, I'm I, in them right now, and I'm loving life. I, ch- I, I got a lot of things. What do you need? You guys need wipes? You got anyone need a snack? No, no. no. I was I was going to close this segment though, given our stances on this issue, by telling you, Nick, that if the ball comes into my yard again, I'm keeping it. And oh that's, man, that's the, oh dad, mean old Mr. Banks won't throw the ball back. That's that's it. We should talk a little NFL since we're billed as an NFL centric. We're on the, this is what's on the mind of NFL fans right now. And baseball, this is, is our big. only week to talk all star baseball. Week from now, all the training camps right. are going to be going, and it's going to be full blown football. Right, but uh, you know what? In in general, I had a great time. Micah had a great time. Um, you know, next year's in Cleveland. I'm already eyeing that. We might. Try to go back. Um, I went. I went to three All Star games in like ninety eight, ninety nine, and two thousand, and then not until sixteen again. So um, it is the one event that I do think reminds me of you know summer and always, always will. Um, not a ton going on in the NFL, but I did want to jump into a couple headlines that broke this morning because, as you noted earlier, never has there been a team that won the Super Bowl that is so willing to talk. Uh, about the team it vanquished. And I'm talking about Eagles uh, offensive lineman Jason Kelsey, the center, made another headline today talking about the Patriots. He told SI.com, some organization that I once worked for, the Eagles were, uh, as they were preparing for the Patriots, they felt like Bill Belichick and his staff had dragged inferior defensive talent to the Super Bowl. Nick, oh wow, Nick just went into like a, a spastic fit of some sort. It must have hit. I hate home. to say it. Well, one, I've never heard another team that vanquished another team in the Super Bowl. The team that won has never talked about the team they've defeated, who has obviously set up permanent shop either under their skin or in their psyche. They, the Eagles will not stop talking about the Patriots. It's which amazing. Mind blowing. That said, what Jason Kelsey just said now actually may be the thing I most agree with right. because I thought the you defensive might. line, the defensive unit in general that the Patriots trotted out for Super Bowl 52 easily, and this is a Super Bowl team in 46 that had Edelman back there as a safety. That team was a better defensive unit. You had Mark Anderson who was having that great free agent year. You had uh, Andre Carter as well. This defensive unit the Patriots trotted out for 52 was inferior sorry it wasn't was. that way all year though I, I i'll add here's the money quote the last defense we had seen was minnesota's and we were like these dudes have got some players and then we see the patriots and we're like these dudes have got some dot 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 coaches don't mm-hmm. disagree with that but i mean it, look that day nobody played defense let's be no. honest Mm-mm. nobody played defense that no. game was and guess what it was high rated and it was a ton of fun to watch right everyone just went for it right and and everyone's saying that's the future of football. And, and when no did football become annoying? Afterwards, when we started worrying about this play was offsides or there was this penalty. But you know what? They went out there and played that best game. One team needed to make one other play. Can we just shut up and get ready for yep. the next season, Eagles? Yep. And then the other headline that just showed up on Pro Football Talk a little bit ago, Danny Amendola, who's also talked quite a bit since leaving Foxborough. Adam Gase is one of the guys. Belichick is like a principal. Now, he did make it clear 
uh, that he, he was not ripping Bill Belichick. He mm-hmm. called him the greatest coach of all time. He was saying as a veteran player, he now appreciates having a coach who treats him more like an eagle. It's been great. It It's worked out amazing. All the guys are cool. The team is cool. My group is cool. The coaches are awesome. Coach Gase is one of the guys. He's our leader. He's our head coach. But he's also our boy. So it's cool. It's refreshing to have that kind of relationship with a coach, something I haven't had in a long time. I, I, if what? you'll excuse me. I just, I'm sorry. This has gone too far. Like, do you want to win or do you want a friend? Mm-hmm. And if you want a friend. Oh, cool. It's Mike Tomlin 2.0. Maybe your coach isn't supposed to be your bestie, you know? I don't need to get along with my lawyer. I don't want my airline pilot to be my buddy. I don't want to be, I don't want to be getting drinks with my surgeon. And if I'm playing football, I want my coach to run a football team. You're not supposed to be hanging with the Sarge. Hey, you know, finally, uh, this platoon's really cool. You know, we're all, we're all. We're all equals out there in the field. Ah, uh, ah, uh, you have to have a coach. This is the most silver medal attitude. You know why this, this is, is easy to say? Runner-up syndrome. You know why this is easy to say? Because he's got a couple rings already. He's already got a couple rings. Yeah. Check that off. Mm-hmm. Done. What's he worried about? He's ca- he cashed that check, baby. Now he can have a friend as a coach rather than a, a hard ass. Let's, right. Let's be real. I, I mean... You can say a lot of things about Bill Belichick as a human being who you probably would be intimidated by, and I get that. Mm-hmm. And he has his side where he's not that way. But if you want the greatest coach of all time, you get you get the full package. You get the upside. You might get the downside. He he compared him to it's almost like you've got a principal, the principal's office, and blank like that. Well, you know, first of all, I'm sorry. Uh, principals are always intimidating. I've never met a principal as intimidating potentially as Bill Belichick. So that right. actually short sells Belichick, I think, to just call him a principal. Right. Uh, but that that's part of running a team and a program that has stayed on top for now almost two decades. I mean, it just – sorry, Leo DeRocher was partly right. Nice guys don't generally finish anything but last. As much as many of us may disagree with some decisions the greatest coach ever made long ago or just this past calendar year, it's kind of the best for a reason. And I think his body of work speaks for itself a little bit. That's cool. Danny, listen, good climate, great food, yeah, fun area. You know what? No taxes, lots of golf, beautiful women. And hey, you got the biggest paycheck you've seen in six years. And you got your two. And you got your rings. And you went to three, and you got two rings. And people are always going. You're going to. You're going to get retired here. You're going to have a red jacket day in a couple of years at halftime, November 2021. So, that's fine. But Uh, but I I mean, did you? Can we just now stop worrying about anyone coming within a sniff or a whiff of the Patriots in the AFC East? Be honest. If I'm Adam Gase. I don't want this kind of publicity. I really don't. I don't want everybody thinking, oh, Adam Gase is my boy. I, I, you want a boss. Everybody needs a boss of some right. sort. You need to have somebody that you have to please on some level. They don't have to be a jerk. They don't have to be an a-hole. But Mm-mm. come on. like Adam Gase is not well served by Amendola coming out and saying, you know, I want I, I hang with my head coach, and he's like one of us. McDaniel's and Brady seem to have that 
buddy buddy relationship they talk all the time it's a peer-to-peer thing and they're constantly designing and evolving the offense and they can scream at each other and they can scream at each other too and that makes sense and if that's what adam gase was in miami and amandola appreciated that cool but to be the organization of a team and to, to try to run to try to take a team to a next level that they haven't been able to attain for years with all that talent not the best look, Danny. But yeah. hey, your Instagram is fire, kid. I, I I just sentenced Miami to second place in this division. No ifs, ands, or buts. All right, join now, as promised. Um, had Amy Trask on my wish list for this podcast for over a year and a half, and I'm finally getting around to it. And we want to welcome to the Cover Two podcast with Banks and Stephen, Amy Trask. If you f- seriously follow the NFL, you know who she is already. And by the way, she's Amy Trask on Twitter. It's very simple. She's one of the best follows in the NFL coverage game. And she is simply, I think, um, launched this second half of her career in the media, has gone exceptionally well. Amy, thanks for the time this morning on the Cover 2 podcast. Oh, wow. Thank you for having me. It is a privilege and a pleasure to join you. And as is often the case when we start these things, that's when all the noise starts happening. The dogs, yeah. the cats, the outside noise. No worries. So if it gets too loud for you and I need to hide in a closet, just let me know. No worries. I have a dog that regularly shows up on my radio hits in the background and um, has become almost a cult figure in Toronto because of it. Um, and I have a five-year-old, so I'm only used to <laughs> things making noise when they're not supposed to. Let's so. get this out of the way. So Amy uh, spent almost three decades uh, with the Oakland Raiders serving as the CEO from 1997 to 2013, 26 years overall with the Raiders organization, the NFL's first female front office executive, and she was basically Al Davis's right-hand advisor. Um, and then she morphed into this media sensation. She joined CBS Sports Network in 2013 as a studio analyst on that other pregame show. Uh, she also serves as a panelist, a rotating part uh, there's a rotating uh, panel on the We Need to Talk, and I believe she's doing her next episode next month in August, which is the first ever nationally televised all-female sports show. Also, she contributes to the NFL Today on CBS. And one more plug, she is the author of You, ne- you Negotiate Like a Girl, Reflections on a Career in the National Football League, which, Amy, I want to ca- say came out in late 2016, or was it early 2017? You know, you're probably right, and I don't remember, so <laughs> let's just say it was roughly that range. Yes, it was. It was indeed. But anyway, you're, you're stretched fairly thin on the, on the media front, plus you've done almost every podcast other than this one, so now you can check this off um, the list as well. But I was listening to you on Pro Football Talk podcast as I drove in today. I know you just did my friends Andrew Brant's. Uh, and former colleagues' podcast recently. Uh, and thank you for, for, for making time for us today, and we don't have a ton of time. So I, what I wanted to talk to you first and foremost is um, people love your, I guess, your common sense and your direct style of dealing with the issues of the day in the NFL. And I want to, um, I want to read a couple of your select tweets from recent issues and give people who may not follow you uh, a sense of how you kind of approach things. Um, this is something you tweeted out. If you missed the headline, the Oakland Raiders the other day um, hired Brent Musburger, um, legendary broadcaster. We all grew up listening to him um, as their play-by-play 
uh, new play-by-play announcer. Curious choice. You said, I wish Brent Musburger, tremendous broadcaster, very best as the Raiders radio voice. That said, interesting choice given his role with gambling platforms. Not suggesting for a moment that he do anything improper, but got to avoid even an appearance of impropriety. Um, Here's another one. The statue issue of Jerry Richardson outside of uh, Bank of America Stadium in Charlotte that the new owner, David Tepper, was asked about whether or not to bring it down or not. Amy wrote, whether or not you think the statue should stay, here's an idea. Put a water feature around it. People can toss in coins and make a wish for the team, for romance, whatever. Donate the coins to local charities. Something divisive becomes something positive. One more. On the new NFL anthem policy, I've long said that players, coaches, team, league, employees, and owners share a common interest, the success of the league. I've said that for the most, the four most important words in business are communicate, cooperate, collaborate, and coordinate. Here's to that, no matter the issue. Um, this has created a bit of a groundswell, and it's small, but it's real, of people who think Amy Trask would make a great commissioner someday. You say what to that? I say, why would you wish that on me? <laughs> and I would also add to that, um, would the office be moved from Manhattan to Malibu? Because then maybe we could have a chit-chat about it. That would be unwieldy, I would suppose, yeah. But that, that <laughs> if you make that a uh, deal-breaker, maybe maybe that's uh, something that would uh, be considered. But no, I get it. Who Who would aspire to that office? But it is more than flattering. It's people kind of trying to recognize, I think, your... Um, the fact that you you bring a lot of common sense to uh, well, it, your analyst it, role. It is very it is very gracious and it's very generous and and I do appreciate those notes. Um, I'm often not um, particularly good at accepting a compliment and and feel very awkward doing that. But it is very gracious and generous and you know I do um, I do bring a common sense approach to most things and think that common sense at the end of the day. Um, should play a, a role in, in all of these topics we're discussing. I've been told that I'm direct to a fault. I don't think there is such a thing as direct to a fault. I think if we were all more direct with one another, uh, the world might be a better place. But I do enjoy interacting with, with my Twitter village, and I, I think that exchanging ideas in a reasoned and reasonable manner and disagreeing agreeably is is very important. Well, I, I totally agree with that, and that is your style. Um, however, I have to admit, and I saw a, a tweet by Paul Kuharski, who's a, a mutual friend of ours, that covers the Tennessee Titans, used to cover the Raiders once upon a time. He said very few people he had to interact with in the NFL made him nervous. Al Davis was one, I concur. That was always a little bit, um, I always had a little trepidation talking to Al. He said Amy Trask was another. And I'm going to piggyback on that. I have to be honest. I covered the league for a long time with you in it. You were not an easy interview. When you were in your role with the Raiders and you were as partisan and bled silver and black as anyone, uh, I was always a little nervous to talk to you. You were you direct is a nice way of putting it. You could be combative. <laughs> you were proudly profane and still are. And I always felt a little bit like I better have my, you know what, together before I go up and talk to Amy or she might, you know, uh, chew me up and spit me out. How, how well, about that? You know, first of all, I'm going to start with the beginning and say 
I kind of sort of like that. <laughs> and when someone called to my attention what Paul Kuharski had written, um, I, I was doing a little happy dance. I, I, I was, wow, um, I, I embrace that. Now, all good fun aside, um, a number of people have said to me, um, since I did join this world of, of television, and, and that's a whole other story in and of itself, that I'm much more forthcoming and relaxed in my communication. And there's one primary reason for that. I was always very, very cognizant when speaking as a member of a front office that when I interacted with the media, when I said anything publicly, I wasn't simply representing myself. I was representing Al Davis, the Raider organization, and the National Football League. In other words, my words could reflect poorly if they did, um, or reflect in general, not only on me, but on the league as a whole, on the organization, and on team ownership. So I was always ill at ease and, and a little bit you know, nervous in presenting my thoughts because I was aware that I was presenting them not simply on my behalf, but on behalf of others. Now, I just get to be me with the understanding that whatever I do and whatever I say, and no matter what I screw up, reflects only on me. So, Amy, uh, with people talking about how, like Don having mentioned before, you'd make a great commissioner, there'd been a groundswell of people saying that you should do something like that. If we could just sort of put on the commissioner hat for a second or the you know, sit at the commissioner's desk. Um, the anthem policy, which I know you've spoken on before, just won't go away. And it somehow they have they've tried to address it a million ways. The NFL can't figure out what to do about it. They thought they fixed it. It's still a mess. You read a story like today, Jarrell Casey from the Tennessee Titans, prominent defensive lineman, says he still wants to go out and protest on the field. In trying to make it go away, it seems like they've only uh, enhanced or put a magnifying glass on it. What would you do, or how would you want to try and tackle this so you can tr- put it to bed, hopefully, once and for all? Well, I think this particular issue is simply one little peek inside or peek behind the curtains, if you will, of what has become a very, very fractured relationship between the National Football League and the National Football League Players Association, but more importantly, taking those entities out of the analysis between the team ownership and players. And and I say this continually, and it's heartfelt and sincere. Every person involved in the National Football League, player, coach, front office executive, team executive, team staff, NFL executive, league office staff, ownership, Every person involved has the same interest, which is the success of the league. And, you know, Don mentioned that, that I, and I feel strongly about this, that the four most important words in business are communicate, cooperate, collaborate, and coordinate. And this particular issue that you've raised is a perfect example of this. The parties need to sit down together and say, How do we figure out collectively how to address this and find a way to solve it? It is just one example of a fractured relationship that needs to be repaired. They need to press Control-Alt-Delete 
on, and that's for, you know, us old folks who actually rebooted our computers that way. Um, they need to press that on the relationship. And look, I was in the league for, you know, I 27, 28, 29 years, whatever it was. And I, I for, for most of that period, enjoyed watching Gene Upshaw as the head of the union. I noticed a tremendous shift in that relationship when Demora Smith took over. And let me say quickly that I absolutely positively understand the importance of what the union does for the players, and I don't in any way want to dismiss the importance of that, but not every single issue needs to be an argument. Yeah, I totally agree. All right, Amy, you do know that the Cover 2 podcast is on Patriots.com. And as that's I the know. case, we do have, I believe, in our our diehard audience, quite a few New England fans. Now, you were at the Tuck Rule game. You were in the press box. You made a reference recently that was somewhat misinterpreted and blamed on your good friend Ice Cube um, <laughs> that you were going to get the T-shirt. It was a fumble t-shirt out uh, of your closet and put it back on. You may be wearing it as we speak. I'm going to ask you to turn the and clock... And would you like to know? <laughs> would you like to know if I was sitting here wearing that shirt? Do you still own it? Of course I still own okay. it. Okay. I want you to go way in the way back machine, and I want you to give me what it was like to be a Raider and a Raider front office executive and next to Al Davis... That fateful night that truly did change the course of two different franchises uh, for the Tuck Rule game, and at that moment when you realized you weren't going, you weren't going to win this fight. It was over. Um, John Gruden was on his way out, and the Patriots were on their way up. What was it like that night to be a Raider? Is it okay if I grab popcorn well, and a beer for the story? Absolutely. <laughs> 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 Sure, and pass them over this way. Uh, you know, absolutely happy to do so. And let me just state at the outset that I do so in good spirit as a good sport. Because with all the problems in the world today, if we can't discuss sports rivalries and moments in sports about which we all may disagree, and I'm talking now as to your listeners, or the majority of your listeners and me, if we can't do that as good sports in good spirits, we need to take a long, hard look at ourselves because, as I said, a lot of problems in the world. We need to be able to do this in good spirit. So here goes. Um, I am told that my behavior that night when I learned that the, um, when I saw that the play was going to be reviewed and when ultimately the review resulted in the decision it did resembled Linda Blair in The Exorcist <laughs> when her head... When her head spins Swivel. 360 degrees in circles and green stuff spews out of her mouth, I'm told I outdid Linda, and that may be fair. <laughs> uh, you know, I was sitting among a group of raiders, and uh, first of all, had that occurred, even just a few seconds later than it did, a lot of people don't focus on this. Had that occurred inside of the two-minute warning, game over. Because the Patriots could not have challenged it at that. Uh, I'm sorry, outside the two-minute warning. I misstated that. The Patriots could not have challenged. And because it occurred when it did, 
it wasn't game over as it could be. And that's a fact that's gotten lost in a lot of this, and it added to the angst. Uh, you know, we can debate the call ad nauseum. People who believe it was the right call will never understand my view that it was not the right call. People who want to say, Amy, it was the right interpretation of what you may think is a bad rule that has since been changed are never going to agree with my, my view. I will go to my grave believing it was a fumble, and and I behaved accordingly. Did you? It was a story written. Go I'm ahead. Sorry, it was a story written in Sports Illustrated, um, which recounted the fact that when I learned that the, it was going to be over uh, reviewed, I turned to the you know the officiating observer who was in the press box at the time, and I said. You better call nine one, and I'm trying to figure out how to do this without <laughs> swearing on your podcast, which is why I'm stuttering and stumbling. You better call nine one one because if you overturn this call, I'm going to have a blanking heart attack. And so when that story came out, I said to my husband, "You know, I'm calling Sports Illustrated. I didn't say that." And I got all indignant. And he said, "You're right. You didn't say that." And now I'm even more indignant. And I'm going to call Sports Illustrated. And he said, you know, before you dial, let me tell you what you did say. You didn't say, I'm going to have a blanking heart attack. You said, I'm going to have a blanking stroke. So <laughs> you might not want to call Sports Illustrated and challenge them on it that. Do, yes, it, I was at my um, Linda Blair back. I, it did sound like you, I have to admit. I remember that SI story. Um, can you give us a couple quick unvarnished objective opinions? Take out, take off your Raider uh you know, background for a minute. Can you tell me if you believe, truly believe Gruden can recreate Camelot in Oakland this go around? Uh, I don't know the answer to that is the most honest answer that I can give you. Uh, I will say this, you know, when you look at the hiring of Gruden, there's two pieces of the analysis, one on field and one off field. And let's talk about off field for one moment. Um, Very, very, very shrewd move by the organization. They are uh, playing this season at a minimum, perhaps more, in Oakland before moving to Las Vegas, because I now work for Ice Cube. I will quote him and say, they've said, in essence, to the people in Oakland, by Felicia, and, and they're going to move. This enables them to keep that Oakland base engaged and energized and enthused and passionate for the period of time until the team leaves. So from a bit, and, and by the way, it's going to help them sell some very, very exp- expensive products in Las Vegas as well. So from a business standpoint, very, very shrewd. On field, we're going to see. I don't buy into the narrative that, oh, he's been away for the game. Because he hasn't been away from the game. You don't think it's Once passed him by hard- you don't think it's passed him by by being out of the coaching game for what, nine years? No. Um I, look, I think to the contrary, an argument can be made that because he's been studying all 32 teams for those years, he may have some sort of an advantage in that regard. So I don't know how it's going to play out on field. I think it was shrewd from an off-field standpoint. And we're all going to get to grab our popcorn, as you just said, and, and watch from an on-field standpoint. But has the narrative has been, though, that it's like Gruden is assembling like a 2010 fantasy team 
in a lot of ways. Or, you know, he's even bringing back Brent Musburger now. We've got elements that he was comfortable with 20 <laughs> years <laughs> twenty years ago, and, you know, now he's signing some guys. Turn back the clock. Yeah, night. in a lot of ways. But maybe, maybe, maybe we're all just being way too digital age, way too Twitter, way too comment section, and not giving him a chance to show us how he's evolved, the yet growth. at the same time, you know, pad or protect himself with some of the comforts he needs to operate his way. So, uh, gee whiz, well, in the age of social and, media, and us reacting too quickly. Right, gee whiz. Well, and, you know, this is, and I often refer to the injury theory and, you know, sprinkling injury you know, or anti-injury dust. Um, look, when you sign older players, it can work out spectacularly well or just be a horrible, horrible, you know, injury fest. And there were times over the course of my career where Al reached out and signed older veterans, and it worked out spectacularly well. And there were times it was an injury fest. So we're going to have to see and wait, wait and see how that unfolds. If some of these older players who are signed remain healthy and still have gas in the tank, so to speak, it can work out very well, but that remains to be seen. We're speaking, of course, with Amy Trask here on the Cover 2 podcast with Banks and Stevens. You can follow her, a must-follow, on Twitter, at Amy Trask, T-R-A-S-K. Amy, um, good for football or bad for football? Good for sports in general, bad for sports in general? Gambling. Uh, I don't, I'm not sure that I think, I, I'm not sure the meter goes either way, good or bad. Um, it's like that line from Casablanca. I don't know exactly how it goes, but you know, oh wait, there's gambling in Casablanca. I'm I shocked. That line. Shocked <laughs> to find out there's gambling going on. Yes. Yeah, exactly. I'm shocked. I'm shocked. <laughs> Look, there's always been gambling. Um, I don't know that I think it moves the meter one way or the other too much. I don't necessarily see it as terrific. I don't necessarily see it as anything bad. It's sort of, you know, it's there. I will say this. The league is play, has been playing games in London for a number of years, and legalized gambling is far more extensive in London than it is in this country. And it hasn't, you know, to, to take a view that it's, it's going to be something horrible, well, if you think it's going to, if you're the league and you think it's bad, well, then why the heck have you been playing in London? One last thing, uh, Amy. You know, uh, Terrell Owens' decision to skip the Hall of Fame induction, you, you, again, tweeted something that I thought was incredibly smart. You said, if you've, if you've reminded others that we don't know when people have struggles and that it often appears to the public that they don't, and you're criticizing Terrell Owens for his decision, you might want to rethink that as we don't know his struggles. That's your two cents. I don't have a problem with his decision. Many, many people do. Many Hall of Famers do. Where do you come down on it quickly? It's his decision, and I therefore don't have a problem with it. This is his decision to make, and whether you agree with the decision or you don't agree with the decision, it's his decision to make. I don't have a problem with it, and the reason I tweeted as I did and as you just read is he made this decision or announced this decision at a time where we were learning of a number of suicides of some very, very prominent people. And I found it incredibly intellectually dishonest that many people who were um, speaking to the issue of unknown struggles and recognizing that many people are dealing with struggles of which we're not aware were then lashing out at Owens. Um, and I'm not suggesting he has struggles or that he is dealing with those issues. 
But if you don't know whether someone is dealing with internal struggles and you are piling on to criticize them, at the same time you're bemoaning the fact that we're not sensitive to the fact that some people have struggles, I find that very intellectually dishonest. Amy Trask, uh, thank you so much. In just the last thing we ask you, just tell us a little bit. We've referenced Ice Cube, your good friend and fellow Raiders fan, a couple of times. Tell us a little bit about your work with the Big Three, um, what it is, what Ice Cube is trying to do with basketball. And if I'm not mistaken, I think it's coming to the TD Garden in Boston, correct? Well, and that was the reference to the fumble T-shirt. We were on a conference call talking to the media and someone brought up the fact that it's coming to Boston and I said I'm going to have to dig out that it was a fumble t-shirt and of course I said it in good spirit as a good sport and then a writer attributed that comment to Cube and I thought well there you go Aim. you opened your mouth and you got Cube and hot water in the Boston area so I took ownership of the remark uh, Ice Cube and his co-founder Jeff Quatnitz or his business partner Jeff Quatnitz co-founded this league three-on-three half-court basketball um, played at a very very high level very competitive on the court played by men who while they may no longer be um, at the the level where they want to or can play five-on-five full court are tremendously capable of playing fierce fierce competitive basketball on a three-on-three half-court basis And what I've learned through this adventure, if you will, is that, um, look, I understood how popular three-on-three half-court basketball was in this country. You can't walk by a beach court or a park court or a a school court anywhere without seeing three-on-three. I didn't understand how popular it was throughout the world. And we are being wooed by countries around this planet to bring the big three there. We are broadcast in four dozen countries, and I've learned how popular this game is throughout the world. And as you guys know, I like to talk about the fact that sports can unite people who didn't otherwise think they had things in common, and maybe this can do some of that as well. Amy Trask, thanks so much for the time today. We took more than we promised. On the Cover 2 podcast, Amy Trask of CBS Sports Network. You can catch her on that other pregame show, We Need to Talk, and also on the NFL Today on CBS. Amy, I know you don't want to be commissioner, but I think you'd be a good one if you ever put your mind to it. Thanks again for the time. Well, you are very kind, and thank you for having me. I mean this quite sincerely. My privilege and my pleasure to join you. All the best. Thanks, Amy. That was fun. You know, here's another tweet of hers that we didn't even have time for, but you remember when the the Chiefs offensive lineman, and I'm going to butcher his name, it's Laurent Duvernay-Tardif, he wanted to get MD. He got his degree. Mm -hmm. wanted to get MD on his jersey. I think that would have been cool. The NFL, which will put junior or the second or whatever, the NFL says no, didn't explain their decision on why to say no. Amy tweeted, psst. NFL, if the rationale for denying this request was, quote, then we'd have to do it for everyone, that's silly. A policy of if you earn a graduate degree, MD, JD, PhD, etc., and want it on your jersey, we'll do it, is a great message to send. You're welcome. And, you know, that's, again, that's kind of... She gets it done. She gets it, and in a way that people in the league office gets cr- get criticized 
routinely for not getting it, for not understanding how the optics can look. I don't want to dip into my bag of millennial catchphrases, Uh-oh. Uh, but Amy Trask is woke, <laughs> right? Or lit or something. I I, that's my favorite I That's my know. favorite line of yours so far. I hope she was a lit on the podcast. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, I would wear it. She's it was a, a, fu- I would She's wear a it. I would honestly wear the T-shirt that says it was a fumble because guess what? I don't have a time machine. I'm not going to go back and fix it. I don't care what it was because it, it led to a Super Bowl win. Anyway, she's uh, she's she's got a lot to say, and um, a lot of it I, I find myself agreeing with. Yeah, it's great. Great. Um, Somebody who's actually speaks her mind. Uh, Don, real quick, because uh, I know we got to wrap up soon. Camps, uh, Camps Ahoy, rookies are reporting in certain spots around the league. Patriots obviously open up uh, six days from now when we re- as we're recording rookies right. in just a couple days. Um, but... This will be the first year that we will see professional football played in over a decade without the greatest jet of all time. Revis Island <laughs> closed for business. I thought Namath quit a long time ago. To be I honest. think Revis is arguably you think he's the greatest, the greatest jet, jet of, all, of all, time? all time. And wow. it gives me supreme amounts of joy that the greatest moment in the greatest Jets career happened in a Patriots uniform. <laughs> How long was he a Jet? That's what I'd like to know. It didn't seem long enough. To Seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. Okay. Then he pl- he was out in twelve with the torn ACL. Thirteen with Tampa. Fourteen with the Patriots. Not, Fifteen, yeah. sixteen. Come on, that's not long enough to be the greatest Jet. But I, as far as impact goes, can you name besides Namath? Can you name? Was it Gastineau? Was it Klecko? Was it Curtis Martin? Emerson Boozer, just for the name alone. Emerson Boozer. Yeah. I don't know. I've never thought of the, who the greatest Jet might be. I think headline name is Joe Namath, mm. and we'll leave it at that. But maybe Don Maynard. How about that? Don Maynard, you don't remember him. I couldn't care less about the team struggling. <laughs> <laughs> that was Joe with Susie. Oh, that Joe. Was, that was quite the oh, night. Oh, Joe, what a night. I want to kiss you. <laughs> Thanks, Joe. A yeah! Huge compliment. Yeah, <laughs> we, do, we did have Revis retirement. We had Ben McAdoo, the former Giants coach, lobbing Molotov cocktails yeah. at the rest of the NFC East this week. We had Le'Veon Bell. I'm sorry. I think a divorce is coming in Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. It's, it's one and trade done. him now? I'd think about it. I would. I don't think another great Remember year. Remember how good they were with D'Angelo? I don't think another great year is going to unfold with this divorce looming. I think this could get potentially kind of, not nasty, but at least uncomfortable. Uh, do you go with your backup, trade Le'Veon Bell now for a second-round pick, wait until there are cuts or find uh, a camp body? Uh, I feel like you can you, you get 85. You can't cut him. You rescind the, the franchise tag is what yeah, you but don't would do. You, can't you, don't you tag him? Sign it. He hasn't signed it. He hasn't signed it. So they can't what a cut mess. him. They can resend the tag, and then okay. he's a free agent on the cusp but of the season. you get nothing for him. Right. You get nothing for right. a top three running back in the NFL. No. Todd Gurley said he was mad about the whole thing, that it's yeah. a shame running backs won't get paid. What is the NFL? Is it because we know they have that shelf like that it's a running back post 30 yeah, is He's just trying to get paid like Antonio Brown, the number one receiver. And they're saying you play running back, you don't play receiver. We value the positions differently. Just like Gronk You're wants a to get paid player. like the best pass right. catcher. Gronk yeah. wants to be paid as a receiver, top pass catcher, not a top tight end. And that thinking may change someday in the NFL, but it is still prevalent today. And that's that is where the Steelers, you know, and they may they may be blowing it. He may be that that rare back that you have to make the exception for, but they're banking on. Maybe they've maybe he's already played his best football, and they don't want to reward him 
you know, retroactively. That's what so many people seem to seek. Hey, pay me for what I did for you, not what I'm going to do for right, you. Right, exactly. And 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 the club always thinks of it exactly differently. Steelers could be a wildly different team in just even in 2019. For all we know, this could be Ben's last year because he was pissed about the Mason could Rudolph Could be Mike drafting. Tomlin's last year. Could be Mike Tomlin's last year, and this is definitely Le'Veon Bell's last year. Yeah, I think so. I think I don't think they, they just suddenly join hands and sing Kumbaya at the end of this season. And get a deal. What a baseball fan thing to say, singing Kumbaya. That's just being a jerk. On that uh, note. Uh, let us let me leave you on a hot take. Ready? 2019. NFC, AFC North champion, Cleveland Browns. Casino hands. I'm, uh, I'm done. I'm not even going to dispute that because nope. I'm, I'm, my own little I'm hot in. take is they might finish 500 this year. Might. They have a shot to finish 500 this season. Okay, they finish 500, bets off. They finish over 500, I buy dinner. They finish under 500, you buy dinner. Wait a minute. I don't, I'm, I don't have to read the fine. Trying to basically get a free meal out of yeah, the ground. Yeah, I thought so. Thanks for joining us a day late this week on the Cover 2 podcast. Amy Trask was our guest. Again, check her out on all those CBS platforms. Uh, thanks for indulging us with our baseball talk. We'll be back, I think, pretty much strictly football next week, unless the Sox blow up. Um, for Nick Stevens, my co-host, Kevin Collins, our crack producer. He doesn't really look 60 maybe 40. Uh, This is Don Banks. Thanks for being with us for another Cover 2 podcast. Thank you for downloading the Cover 2 podcast from Patriots.com. Second and goal to go from the two. Toss sweep right for James White. Tucks it under the right arm. Cuts it upfield. Driving forward. Diving to the goal line. It's still a touchdown. And a title for the Patriots. I can't believe it. They have completed the greatest comeback in Super Bowl history. Log on to Patriots.com anytime for more news and more podcasts covering your favorite team and all things NFL.